This morning, we wrap up this latest installment of Grace Stories. A couple of weeks ago, before the first Grace Story of the year, I shared that we have three guys lined up with three really different stories. That morning, Josh shared his story of how God used fellow college students to uh, draw him to saving faith in Jesus Christ, surprising to him and to everyone who knew Josh at the time, given his atheist upbringing. Last week, Gary shared his story of brokenness and betrayal and of coming to understand the depth of self-righteousness in his heart. But the core of the story was how God graciously rescued Gary from himself through an arrest, through getting caught in sin, and through a particular penetrating word of criticism, each of which God used to bring gospel healing to Gary. These stories are, have been shared by people just like you and me, living out real life. They've had the courage to give us a little window into how God is shaping them into the likeness of the Savior, all by grace that's accessed through faith in Jesus. This morning, Peter uh, Huang is here ready to share his grace story. It's a story of a struggle of faith over the decades, feeling far from God at times, but coming to realize and rest in the eternal purpose of God and calling Peter to himself. Good morning. My name is uh, Peter. I'm here with my wife, Jessica, and our four kids. We moved to New Jersey about two years ago from Bayside, Queens, and about a month ago, we decided to become members here at GRC. Um, Over the course of my life, God has weaved many different grace story threads into my life. I'll share with you one today that's from my past about my journey towards faith in God, and I'll tell it in two parts. Part one, the God of my own making. So I grew up going to church since the age of four. Uh, My family joined one of the first immigrant churches in Queens in the early 80s, and I was what many would consider a good kid. I listened intently during Sunday school. Um, I remember in elementary school, I'd read a chapter of Bible every night. I pray, and I said the sinner's prayer more than once. And generally, up until high school, I considered myself a Christian. But when I got to college in upstate New York, things started to change. Uh, Like many college students, I was on my own for the first time. I had to choose my classes. I had to manage my time. And one thing in the beginning that I was intent on doing was continuing my faith, going to church. And I did for a while, but somewhere along the line, I remember wrestling with serious doubts about God and Christianity. I knew of God. I had a good grasp of the stories in the Bible, but if I was honest with myself, I couldn't justify a belief in a spiritual being that was out there. I never saw him. He never spoke to me audibly, at least. And I never felt him unless I psyched myself into trying to feel something. I remember uh, going to a revival once where um, this charismatic speaker, he'd come, people would line up, he'd touch them, and these guys would fall down, right? And I I remember seeing this, I'm like, wow, this is my opportunity to actually feel God. So when the time came, they called us up, I stood in line, 
And I'd see guys line up next to me. He'd touch their forehead one by one. They'd fall down to the ground. I'm like, oh, finally, it's going to be my turn, right? So I waited intently, and there he was. He stood in front of me. He looked at me. He mumbled something, and he touched my forehead, and nothing. Nothing happened, right? So I said, you know what? Maybe it's me. I got to get more spiritual. So I started reciting Bible verses in my head. I've been crucified with Christ as long as I live. He did it again. He mumbled something. He touched me. And nothing again, right? He had moved on, right? And I remember, you know, I recall this experience, you know. Um, God never felt, I never felt God, you know. So at this time, you know, I was seriously considering whether I should be honest with myself and whether I should just walk away from the faith, right? But in the summer after my sophomore year, I was taking summer classes, and a friend of mine told me about this conference in New York City. It was a Christian conference, and he asked if I wanted to go, and at that point, my, my Sunday attendance was already erratic. And um, so I told him, no, you know, I don't think these kinds of things are for me anymore. But he was insistent. Um, and he clinched it with this. He said, you know, maybe if we go, we can meet some girls. So I said, fine. All right? I said, fine. So we went along. Um, it was a big conference. There were some heavy-hitting evangelical speakers there, um, John Piper and Sinclair Ferguson, to name a couple. But I had no idea who they were at the time, right? And I'm sure they said some profound things. But the one thing I'll never forget was this small seminar led by a local pastor entitled, What is Calvinism? Now, if you don't know what Calvinism is, you can Google it and you won't be disappointed. There's a lot of information out there. But at this session, this pastor started to talk about how salvation worked, You see, I was under the premise that if I wanted to be a Christian, um, you know, if I decided one day that God existed, right, all I did was, all I had to do was say a simple prayer and I'd be in heaven, right? But this pastor, using passage after passage, would cite verses that turned this notion on its head, right? So you do choose in a sense, right? But if you pull the curtains back a little bit, it's really God who chose you. And he was under no obligation to do so. I particularly remember him spending a lot of time in Romans chapter 9 around this theme in verse 16. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. Right? So I realized the God I thought I was turning away from was not the God of the Bible, or at least he was a very pared-down version of him. And if I were going to walk away, I better understand who I'm walking away from. So at this point, I don't know if it was a sudden sense of like fear or respect or curiosity, but God would use this moment to set me on a trajectory back to him. So that was part one. Now part two, the penny drops. So after this experience, I started to rediscover the faith with with a renewed focus. I went back to school wanting to know more about this God behind the stories that I read growing up in the scriptures. The pastor at that seminar recommended uh, that we all get the New Geneva Study Bible, which I think is called the Reformation Study Bible right now. So I ordered one immediately. He also mentioned R.C. Sproul as a good reference for further study. So I looked this guy up on Yahoo. This was back in the 90s, so Google wasn't around back then. right? So I looked him up on Yahoo, and I discovered that he had a daily radio show called Renewing Your Mind. This is before podcasts as well. So if you wanted to tune in, you had to like be by the radio at the time the broadcast was happening. 
So as a good college student, I started to skip classes to listen to R.C. Sproul every day. And the more I read and the more I listened, I started to realize that it was true. God is sovereign, and I am not. God is holy, and I am not. I start to understand how sin divided us. Right? And I start to put together like the pictures in the Old Testament about the sacrificial system and how it foreshadowed Christ's work on the cross. I also, by God's providence, uh, met a grad student who was really into apologetics, and we'd read and listen to debates together. And I realized that there were a lot of people who were smarter than me who had figured out that good reasons why God must exist. All right, so somewhere along this process, I felt reaffirmed in identifying as a Christian. You know, I became very active in my college fellowship. But, you know, looking back at that time and for many years after college as a young working professional, if I was honest with myself, I think my relationship with God was very academic, right? I knew basic doctrine. I could defend the faith against atheists to a reasonable degree. Uh, but I felt like I didn't really know God on a very personal level. Right? For example, I remember recalling um, the idea of Jesus dying on the cross to save the people that he loved. I remember recalling this story in my head and actually being moved to tears. And then I remember thinking this. I mean, you know, these aren't tears necessarily of praise over what God had done for me. These might be the same tears that I shed watching the movie Titanic, or watching the movie Braveheart, about people who died for something that they love. I'm sorry again that all my references are from the 90s. And I thought about this, right? If I were to face God in judgment, it might feel a lot like seeing Justin Timberlake in person, right? I, know, I might know a lot about Justin by reading the tabloids. I might be able to sing all his songs or emulate all his dance moves very poorly, by the way. But if we were to actually see each other in person, it'd be very obvious that we're not friends, right? I could say, hey, Justin, Justin, but he'd look at me like, who are you, right? And if I got too close, he'd be totally in the right to say, get away from me, right? So coming back to the story, when I was in my late 20s, I became a member uh, in a church plant in Long Island City. And um, as I got more involved, uh, my pastor at the time was speaking at a retreat for young adults. And he asked if a friend of mine and me wanted to come along. Uh, so we did. And it was during the first evening session. Uh, my friend and I were sitting in the back. And I remember he started to preach and he said his topic was going to be about grace. Now, at this point, um, I had paid a lot of good money for resources from R.C. Sproul, but I also expanded my repertoire to include John Piper. I was a subscriber of weekly sermons from Tim Keller. All this to say, I felt like I understood what grace was all about. Right? I wasn't expecting to learn anything new, but of course I was in for a surprise. Right? And so he was preaching. He said, we all have tendencies to go through this cycle of sin and repentance, sin and repentance, often for the same sin over and over again. Right? We sin, and then we crawl back to God. We make a deal. We say, we ask for one more chance, God, one more chance, and I won't mess up this time. And we might be good for a while, but give it some time, and inevitably we mess up again. We feel like we really blew it this time. Right? And we come back to God, we think we somehow surprised him. Right? 
We come back to God asking for repentance, and we imagine he says something like this, What? I forgave you. You said you'd never do again. You'd never do it again. And here you are asking for forgiveness one more time. And then what he said next felt like a punch to my gut. He said, when you crawled back to God and you made that deal with him, did you think that God didn't know that you would mess up again? Right? Did you think that God was really surprised? You think you're somehow smarter than God? No, he saw it coming. Right? He already knew that I would mess up again. Right? He doesn't relate to me at my point of repentance. No, he sees through the cycles. He sees through the deals that I think I'm making with him before I think it, before I even do it. He sees through me, and yet still he loves. Still he accepts. And I don't know what it was about those words, but at that moment, the penny dropped, so to speak, for me. Right? Saving grace, I realized, for all the knowledge that I had about it, saving grace was on a completely different level. Saving grace is not a treat that God dispenses when I come to him in a moment of repentance. No, saving grace is a comprehensive healing work that God had done for me in Jesus Christ, in spite of me, before I knew to ask, before I even knew what to ask for. Saving grace was never about me. Right? And when that light bulb went off, I can't begin to tell you what it felt like at that moment. You know, throughout my Christian life growing up, I heard of these testimonies of people who got saved, right? who came to know the Lord, and they say that they felt like this weight came off their shoulder. And up until this point, I tried to feel that feeling, but it just wasn't happening. But as he said these words, I finally felt it. The weight had come off. I fast forward to today. It's been about 10 years or over 10 years since that happened. And a lot has happened in my life, right? I've grown in so many other ways. And maybe that's another great story for another time. But I'm not here to say that, you know, since that time, since that moment of salvation, since the weight came off, that everything's been swell. I think I definitely experienced longer periods of silence and struggle than victory and praise. Right? Sometimes I can doubt whether God really loves me, whether God hears me when I pray. But what I don't doubt is God's love for His Son, Jesus Christ. And I know that as long as that's true, I'm safe, that I can rest in what he has done for me. Thank you. Lord, again, uh, thank you for giving Peter grace to persevere, not only through a, a long morning, but over these past couple of weeks, as he has really wrestled with what you would have him share with Grace Redeemer Church, Lord, and what he has shared is of you, of your work through your Holy Spirit, through your servants in the particular churches that have ministered the gospel to Peter. Thank you for the fruit of faith. And thank you uh, for uh, the hope that you 
will do that much more in Peter's life and calls it to overflow from him to bless his family, his friendships, his uh, community of faith here now at GRC. Use him, Lord, in a mighty way, even as he uh, discovers new chapters of the grace story that you're telling in his life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Every grace story is different, and... um, Every great story devotional to follow strikes me uh, as needing customization. So I'm going to approach this morning a little bit differently than I did last week where I was more camped and camped out in a, in a particular uh, passage of Scripture. Um, and I want to just uh, begin by talking about the general flow of Peter's story. It's probably very familiar to many of you here at Grace Redeemer Church. At, at the least, it's unsurprising, the details that he shared, right? A kid who grew up in church, who went faithfully with his family, who always thought of himself as a Christian, but drifted away when he went away to college. And when he did think about spiritual things, he uh, wondered what it was that he actually believed. He had moments of doubt as he longed for deeper spiritual experience. And then at a conference, one seminar surprised him with its biblical teaching. And that's where the uh, perhaps familiar and unsurprising flow of the narrative takes on its unique shape in Peter Huang's life. And I want to highlight just one key word that impacted Peter and then share two pastoral thoughts uh, to close. The, The key word is simply sovereignty, sovereignty. What struck Peter in that seminar was the unavoidable biblical truth that God is Lord of salvation, that God saves sinners. It's not something that someone merely chooses, merely comes up with this good idea to do. God is not surprised by anything. God isn't up in heaven with fingers crossed, figuratively speaking, wishing, hoping that someone somewhere in some time will choose to believe in Jesus. Because that picture is not interesting, it's not humorous, it's actually scandalous. The thought that had no one chosen to believe in Jesus, he would have died in futility. His death would have been uh, the payment for nobody's sin, He would have suffered hell and the wrath of the Father for no benefit. He would have walked out of the tomb victorious over sin and death and not had anyone inherit that victory from him as the triumphant king. That's scandalous, that thought. When Peter was confronted with the truth of God's sovereignty in salvation, he said, quote, it set me on a trajectory back to God. By the way, if, if you're hearing Calvinism and sovereignty of God and choice, and that's throwing you off this morning, obviously we don't have the time and space to treat that in depth uh, on, on after a grace story uh, this morning. What I'd encourage you to do is um, go back on our uh, website, graceredeemer.com, and find the beginning of our sermon series on Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We'll be back in that in a couple of weeks. And listen to the first six or so messages that are saturated with this theme of God's sovereignty in salvation, not because it's our idea, but because that's what Ephesians 1 is talking about. 
And that would be a, a one productive way to kind of wrestle with some of these difficult doctrines. It's difficult because apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in you uh, or I, what would be more likely than the response Peter had is to be offended at the thought that your eternal condition is somehow determined by cold fate. And then to think, well, if, if, if it's not up to me, why should I care? Why, why don't I just do whatever I want to do? And spiritually speaking, whatever happens will happen if it's not up to me. But the marvel, the fascinating, intriguing part of how this was a spiritual milestone that set him on a new trajectory is that the response evoked in Peter was the exact opposite. It drove him to a sense of greater awe as he came face to face with the reality of how this one true God operates in human history. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul gives us this uh, amazing picture of Uh, the sovereignty of God in salvation. This is what he writes, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his good purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. The temptation at face value is to to read or or, or see that first phrase and to think it it is setting up this picture of if you love God, then he will work for your good. It's up to you. But the rest of the flow of that passage does not allow that kind of interpretation. Why? Why? Because God's intent and God's work to save his people far precedes any response of faith any particular human being could come up with. As Peter Huang came to understand, even though God knows every failure and every doubt and every weakness he has ever displayed and will until his last breath is taken, God's saving work in Christ on behalf of sinful, believing people, the essence of this grace gift that he offers to his people means that those God predestined, he also called and justified and glorified. The the grace gift isn't this transaction, Peter was saying. It's not, I'll give you one more chance. It's my love for you, though always undeserving, is perfect and will carry out to completion what I have begun in you. God's power backs up God's promise, his intent to love, his intent to demonstrate mercy and compassion towards sinners. And this language shows us this because it uses the past tense as if to say it's as good as done because God is behind this saturated by sovereignty, saturated by grace. An old hymn describes well the, the, what we're describing here, the sovereign initiating work of God. I sought the Lord and afterward I knew. He moved my soul to seek him, seeking me. It was not I that found, O Savior, true. No, I was found by thee. A couple of pastoral thoughts to wrap us up. First, you, you heard another unsus- unsurprising element of Peter's story, which is that um, the two aha moments 
happened in these milestones of a conference he went to and a seminar within that and a young adult's retreat that he went to years later. Um, Here's my theory to explain why spiritually impactful moments so often occur at a retreat or a conference or a youth camp. I've heard uh, that element in so many of your stories over the years uh, when, when you were impacted, when something you maybe knew up here um, got, got brought and impacted the depth of your being. Why is that? My, my theory is, is not a complicated theory, okay? And it starts with understanding something about our everyday life. All too often, and perhaps for some of us, hardly ever do we carve out sufficient space in our lives mentally with our time, with our attention, with our calendars for the things of God. Back in the day, I'll have my own 90s references, um, pre-internet, right? Back in the day, um, not carving out space could have been the fault of um, watching too much TV or um, perhaps good things like healthy play, perhaps not so good things like idleness and laziness. Today is very different. And, and this, just this past week, uh, I caught a glimpse of something that deeply saddened me and burdened me for the, the generation that's coming of age right now. I was in line with my family uh, getting ready to order a burrito bowl. Um, and the young woman in front of me had to be interrupted by the server to give her order because she was um, madly flipping her thumb through pictures, marking each one somehow with expert precision. And though she had chosen to come into this restaurant and order her dinner, she, she couldn't be disturbed in the midst of this, six o'clock at night. I don't do Instagram. I assume it was something like that where she was just evaluating things that people around the world had submitted for everyone else's gawking. But while ordering dinner, this obsessive, compulsive, life-draining habit had to be indulged. And it startled me. I'll say something controversial, especially because I'm married to a healthcare professional. I can't help wondering if smoking a pack of cigarettes a day is less unhealthy than this habit. Why? Because with the flood of digital input that uh, constantly barrages your brain and eventually, and sometimes quickly, seeps into your heart, how can you possibly pay enough attention to consider the unseen and the eternal? Uh, how can you think upon deep questions of identity and belonging, and faith, abstract realities like love and compassion and mercy. But, here's my theory explaining the correlation of aha moments to retreats and conferences, but if you make a modest investment of time, a weekend away, which is a deliberate choice to carve out this space in your life and you go on this retreat, our, our, our youth are going to the Great Escape next weekend. It's a f- fabulous experience for our, our kids. And they'll carve out time. And they'll be prompted and reminded to put aside their digital devices. And, and if, you, if you carve out that time, and, and if, if you have any measure of spiritual hunger and an open heart, the Spirit of God may move and stir your soul with God-glorifying passion. 
It's not all that complicated. That possibility is not limited to retreats and conferences. It doesn't require you to spend money and give a whole weekend. But in order to listen for God's voice, in order to discern his will, in order to taste even a, a glimpse of the spiritual experience that Peter was alluding to, that he longed to have, in order to wrestle seriously with any spiritual and eternal realities, you and I do need to be very intentional about carving out that space, turning the TV off, putting the phone on the shelf, turning off notifications, not indulging what becomes this sort of instinctive, compulsive habit to check things, news, feeds, emails, and to do this incredibly productive activity of contemplation and meditation over the Word of God. And you just might be surprised at how the Spirit of God meets you. A last and a brief second pastoral thought. Uh, the offertory song we heard, Steve Painter led us in. It takes its main thought from uh, Augustine of Hippo and his autobiographical writing back in around the year 400, the Confessions of Augustine. And in that autobiographical work, he is speaking a prayer to God, and he writes this, because you have made us for yourself, our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, whether you would say, I'm not a Christian, I'm here out of politeness, out of family connection, because I was invited but I'm not interested. Or if, if you have been a follower of Jesus and, uh, for a while and long to grow deeper and deeper in that connection by faith with God, this is true of you. You were made by God to reflect his image and you were made for God. The design of the creator is for you to enjoy a fully human existence only in a context of faith and relationship and utter dependence upon him, a restlessness to life, a chasing after meaning and identity and pleasure and purpose will never find satisfaction until and unless your heart finds its rest in God. These three grace stories, as I said, have shared with us three unique paths for three men this month, but what they share in common, what binds them together within the same capital S story that God is telling through human history is that Josh and Gary and Peter have found their rest in Christ from unbelief, from selfish sin, and this morning from the uncertainty of what it means to rest in grace. Find your rest in Christ. Come in the midst of that restlessness. Ask us questions. Donald and a prayer leader are going to be up front here to your left after the service. They would love to pray with you, talk with you. Peter Huang uh, and myself, we would love to interact with you, whether it's this morning or at another time, to share with you this life-giving news that Jesus has come to offer you rest through faith in him. Let's pray.
Gracious God, how marvelous that you have made us for yourself and that your plan is for us to be restored to community with you, that you've earned our rest through the work of your son. You've given us life through his death. We marvel at that and give you praise this day in the powerful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.